take your Bible and join me in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter number 17. We are quickly approaching Easter Sunday, and I just uh, was praying through this passage and looking at it and couldn't get away from it. I, I got some things that were a blessing to me, and I just want to share those with you tonight. So, uh, deviating from our time in Genesis, obviously, but we're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 17. I uh, would draw your attention really down to verse 22 and 23 for where we're going to go tonight, but keep your finger here. We're going to come back and turn over to Acts and chapter number 2. Acts chapter number uh, 2. Let me make sure I tell you the right passage. Yes. Acts chapter number 2, keeping your finger in Matthew 17. We will read verses 22 and 23 of Acts chapter 2 together, and then turn back to Matthew. Acts 2, verse 22, says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now back to Matthew chapter 17, looking at verse 22 there as well. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding, they were exceeding, they were exceeding sorry. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage our hearts tonight as we look beyond the grave, beyond the shadow of the cross, to an empty tomb. And Lord, as we think about what your death means to us and what you procured through it, I pray that you would stir us to be more like you in giving ourselves as you gave yourself for us, Lord. May we give ourselves for others. And thank you, Lord, that you are our Savior. You have given your life to be a ransom for many who would believe. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts tonight. In your word, in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Amen. So here in Matthew chapter 17, uh, I don't have time to do a full uh, debriefing with you, but just Recollect from Sunday school days. Recollect from other times that you've been through the Gospel of Matthew or maybe your devotional reading when you read the Bible through in a year or three years or however long it takes you. It doesn't matter. Matthew chapter 17 uh, really is is a pivotal chapter in some ways. Matthew 17 opens, uh, opens really with uh, the transfiguration of Christ. Now the events that we're talking about tonight we really need to go back to chapter 16 to begin to see part of the discussion. Now, this is the second time that Jesus Christ has foretold of his death. And the first time when he told his disciples about this was back in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. And he named some people there. He got a little more specific in that passage about who it was that uh, he would be given into their hands, and he names that group of people. So as we think about 
Easter being upon us, Resurrection Sunday, as we think about the life of our Savior, I just want to encourage you with the thought that what, what we have through the resurrection and, and the life of our Lord would not be possible if He had not first died. I know that's new truth. It's revel- revelatory, isn't it? I mean, that's just like, wow, I've never heard that before. Hey, let that sink in. Stop and think about that. In order for us to have the resurrection power of God through Jesus Christ, it had to come via his death first. Christ had to die. Now, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how much how much can we talk about this and never overstress it? I think that we could spend a lot of time meditating on this aspect. And so, um, as you think about you know the time frame in which we're in, do I believe that Jesus died on Friday? Um, no. <laughs> I'm just being frank with you on that. I don't celebrate Good Friday. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe I could go along with a good Thursday or a good Wednesday, but uh, no. So, But we're approaching that, right? And so you might see some people walking around that, that name the name of Christ, and they're, you know, going through their Good Friday emotions. Well, I just want to tell you, there's, there's some scripture behind what they're doing. There's a story that leads them to take a position on mourning over the death of Christ on Friday because they're getting ready to celebrate the resurrection on Sunday. So without splitting hairs with you over when Christ died, I believe it was Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, depending on how you count the, the time frame, and I've gone through that in messages previous. I won't do that here. But as we think about the death of Christ, I don't think we can overstress it too much. How important is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to everything we believe? For 1 Corinthians 15, we had that reading on Sunday, Sunday morning. How important is the resurrection to all our doctrines? Without the resurrection, our faith is vain. Is it not? That's what Paul said. What we do with Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection determines our eternal destiny. I mean, our eternal life hinges on what Jesus did on Calvary. It's pivotal. All of human history, not only our salvation, but all of human history, if you take a biblical perspective, all of it hinges on the cross. The Old Testament looks forward. The New Testament looks backward. Everything revolves around the cross. It's the center point. It's the center focal. Now, Jesus Christ is coming again. And uh, He's coming in power. He's coming in glory because He's already conquered death. And everything that the Bible has to say about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it speaks to every generation. I think I'm seeing a renewed... Uh, emphasis in our day in that this book is really antiquated you know uh, we've got some more modern things like uh, we all the technology we have at our disposal but in the midst of all that technology you think about uh, them taking the the first thing that's put on the backup but that's uh, what's that backup called you know what I'm talking about it's like a worldwide backup that they're you know gonna archive all of the like a big time capsule they're gonna archive all of the knowledge of human beings that they can gather in case if something happens and then we can come back later and find a time capsule somebody will. The first thing they burned on that disc was a copy of the scripture. Uh, to think about you know God revealing himself through language and this means it speaks to every generation. It speaks to the Facebook generation. 
And the millennials, they don't like Facebook anymore, do they? Uh, Facebook's not their friends. They're all going to jump on the Twitter ban. It speaks to the Twitter generation. This this book will speak to the me generation. It'll speak to whatever generation is coming next. You can mark it down. This book has has the answers for life and godliness, for what we need to do to find eternal life. Look at verses 22 and 23 again. I'm going to give you some simple things to meditate on. Jesus Christ foretold his betrayal. He foretold who the guilty party would be. He foretold his death. And he foretold his resurrection. Four things right here in these two verses. You can wrap your mind around. Let's look at them one at a time. Jesus Christ foretold first his betrayal. Two things that we would uh, note about that. Look at the wording here in verse 22. It says, And while they abode in Galilee. Take that phrase. Let's look at it in a little more depth. I mentioned contextually you need to go back to chapter 16 to get the whole scope of what's going on here. So in chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus Christ, it was the first foretelling of his death. That's in verse 21. Somebody bring me up to speed on what happened before verse 21 in chapter 16. Peter's confession. So where are we at when Peter makes that confession geographically? Where was Jesus? Caesarea Philippi. He was in the north country of Israel. He was far, far north. And I just say that to kind of whet your appetite because we are headed to Caesarea Philippi when you come back on Sunday night. Not this Sunday night, but uh, a week from Sunday night. No, you won't because that's that's Pastor Larson's solo night. Uh, He sings a solo every fourth Sunday evening of the month. In case you didn't know, you're missing it every month. But... um, uh, so it, the next time that we head back to Israel, okay, whenever that's going to be, God's going to determine the calendar, uh, then we will uh, we will be in Caesarea Philippi, where Peter made the confession. So think about that. Jesus Christ has been in Galilee. He's been in Judea. He's been performing miracles and showing himself to be the Messiah. They take a respite, and they take a debriefing time up in the north country where where they can have some quiet time to to, to kind of uh, just unwind a little bit from all of the chaos of everything that's been happening in ministry. And while they're there, Jesus asks the question, whom do men say that I am? And they give their speculations, and some say this, some say that. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then makes the statement that about his church. He's going to build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that is prefaced on Peter's statement about Jesus being the rock. Upon this rock I will build my church. The truth that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone of the church itself. So with that, now if we go over to Luke, we find out from that point forward, when Jesus Christ left Caesarea Philippi in the north country, from that moment, he is heading 
with one purpose in mind. He's already exposed his ministry. He's done everything publicly. He's taught parables. He's been teaching all along the way. Now he sets his face. We're going to read it later on in Luke. But Luke tells us in chapter 9, in verse 50-something, he says that Jesus Christ set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. We know why he was going to Jerusalem. Why did he need to go to Jerusalem? What was the whole purpose of heading to Jerusalem? Why did he have to steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem? Because that's where he would die. From Caesarea Philippi, he says, one thing now lies before me. And from that moment all the way to Calvary, now he leaves Caesarea Philippi, and Matthew tells us, this must have really, really worked on Matthew for him to record it the way he does here. This is his perspective, right? So he says they left Caesarea Philippi, they come back down, and they're just kind of uh, in Galilee, almost uh, trying to stay under the radar, if you will. Okay. And while they were there, it's through this time. Look at the words again. Verse 22, And while they abode. When you abide somewhere, it means you're spending some time there. So through this time, after he, after that confession, they come back to Galilee. They're just kind of stand under the radar. And Jesus begins to tell them, I've got something to do. This is what's going to happen, guys. This is not going to be fun. So this wasn't just an impassing statement, okay? It wasn't like he said it off the cuff and then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. This no, this... Note the words, they were exceeding sorry. It's like he's telling them he's going to die, and yet how can, you know, if, if, he's, if he's Messiah, how can Messiah die? This, this, is, this brings angst and consternation. They're exceeding sorry. So while they abode, while they abode, uh, anastrephamonon, it means they're going to and fro. And here's the point. While Jesus and the disciples were going about all of Galilee, he's just drilling into them the fact that he is, a, is about to be killed and that he's going to be raised from the dead. If we look at some other verses, we can get a bigger picture. Luke chapter 24 uh, interestingly, you know the angels uh, announcing in his resurrection, they say these words, Luke 24, verses 6 and 7. Look it up, you, you'll see these words. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. So even after he rose from the dead, the angels go, hey, you remember that time you were up in Galilee after Caesarea Philippi and you came back and Jesus was telling you this? He told you, did he not? Didn't, and that just, that just serves to solidify the, 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 the scriptures in their heart and mind even stronger because uh, the Holy Spirit's the one, John tells us, that Jesus Christ sent to bring these things back to their remembrance. And it's like the light bulb moments come on. Messiah's death. 
it's thinking about the death of Messiah. This is going to be new information for the disciples, you know, if they didn't get it in chapter 16. And I submit to you that there was maybe one who did when he was talking about this, and we mentioned her on Sunday, Mary, who anointed the feet of Jesus. Remember that episode? He's told the disciples that she was doing this for his death, and they still didn't get it. They didn't get it up to that point. Messiah's death and resurrection. This is impossible, right? And in their mind, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. What's their Bible? Genesis to Malachi. And there's some things in there that, that give us some, some hints and some clues, right? If we go to places like Zechariah 12, 10, fulfilled in Revelation, they'll look on him when they pierced. He had to be pierced. Isaiah 53. But in this day and time, remember, they're looking through a veil darkly. It's not all congealing. It's easy for us. It's easy for us because hindsight's twenty twenty. We have the rest of the New Testament to look back on and expound these things and see what's there. And we kind of go, well, it's right there. You couldn't see it. Okay, put yourself in their shoes. You probably wouldn't have seen it either. You probably wouldn't. Impossible. Messiah's got to come victorious. He's got to rule and reign from the throne of David. Not until he dies. No, forever. Forever into the ages. An idea that Messiah, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Messiah, Christ, Messiah. The idea of Messiah having to die, the idea of Messiah having to do this would be to just take all of their hopes, all of their dreams. Lord, we've left all and followed you. To take all of those hopes and all of those dreams and just smash them. Remember when Jesus died? What happened to the disciples? Peter said, I go fishing. They're scared. They're bolted in. Everything, all their hopes and dreams, everything, gone. Why? Because Jesus is dead. It's over. It's over, guys. We're done. <laughs> oh, but there's another chapter. He didn't stay dead. <laughs> now, first, we know while they abode. While they abode. Do you get that? Jesus Christ, he... He foretold. He prophesied his betrayal. It was while they abode. We get that. We understand it a little better now. Secondly, I would note with you here about the word betrayed. It says in verse 22, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed. To betray someone, the word here, uh, paradidastai, it means his death was actually ordained because he would be delivered up. The word means to be delivered up, to be betrayed. And the Lord here is saying that he's going to be delivered up unto death. He's going to be turned over and he's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. Well, he didn't say crucified here. Uh, did he in that verse? No. He says betrayed. So I don't want to add to what he's saying there yet. But it's ordained. It's, it's determined in the counsel and plan of God. We've read in the book of Acts. By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was predetermined. He's the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So he's, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be delivered up unto death. There's three... Uh, 
persons, I guess you could say, but I would say three entities that I would look at in this betrayal. And this, this is, wow. If it connects with you the way it did with me, uh, what did we do? What, what did we do? Oh, my soul. If more people could make this connection today, I think we'd see more people getting saved. I almost want to title my message tonight, Stop Killing God. Stop killing Him. Can God die? Good question. Good question. Can God die? He did. Because you killed Him. Stop killing God. Let's look at it. Three entities, three people. Okay, verse 22. The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men to be delivered up. They shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. Now I'm going to share some other verses with you because Scripture interprets Scripture. And in order to say that God delivered Jesus Christ... God did. We need to compare Scripture with Scripture because I didn't read in those two verses that God delivered him up. But I believe the truth is inherent in there when you compare these verses. Here's one that I guarantee you, you don't know. Just kidding. I got your attention, don't I? Everybody knows this verse. For God so loved the world that he... He delivered him. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, Acts 2, 23, we read, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of fill-in-the-blank. God. Who delivered Jesus to be betrayed? God did. That's the, that's the easy answer. God did. By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God Ye have taken, so God predetermined it. He knew it would happen beforehand. You took him, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. That's Acts 2.23. I read also with you at uh, Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son. Who is the antecedent to the pronoun? He. God. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. That's pretty straightforward. Who delivered Jesus? Who delivered his only son? God did. And He did it for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? 2 Corinthians 5.21, you probably know this verse too. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. In <coughs> 2 Corinthians 9.15, the Bible says, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable Who delivered Jesus to be betrayed? God did. You understand what God did for you? Oh, this is where it has to get personal. You didn't deserve this. What in you? What in me? I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Why would God ever think about me in a way that He would send someone innocently like Jesus Christ and deliver Him to be killed for for me, a worm such as I? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. God delivered him. 
because he loves you. Secondly, Christ delivered himself. He delivered himself up to be crucified. Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 4. Who gave himself for our sins. <laughs> who gave himself? Who is that? Jesus. That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Ephesians 5, verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then chapter 5, and verse 25, a verse you're familiar with, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And what? Gave himself for it. Titus chapter 2, and verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Do you see the theme here? 1 John 3.16 says this. 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus Christ delivered Himself. Remember when He was in the garden? He told Peter after He cut Malchus's ear off in that miraculous instance of the surgery there. In the, he just, the great physician, it's back and you don't even know it was gone. Malchus's ear. He told he told the disciples there that he laid down his life. He could lay down his life, and if he had power to lay it down, then he could take it again. Because no man's going to take his life. He laid down his life. You see, the Father gave the Son for us. The Son gave Himself for us. Now this one. The third person that delivered Jesus Christ to be betrayed. You know his name. He was one of the disciples. Judas. He delivered Jesus Christ to be crucified. Matthew 6, 26, 21, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Let me say it this way. Satan, through Judas, delivered Jesus to be betrayed. Mark 14.10, Mark tells us this way, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. John 13.18, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. What does that remind anybody of in the scripture? Proto-evangelium? Same words, right? Same words. Jesus is, is using these words. I guarantee it's going to come to their mind. They know the, they know the Old Testament. They know the, the story of the fall like the back of their hand. When he says lifting up the heel, that's going to trigger, oh, crushing the serpent's head. <laughs> who's, the, who's the devil? That old serpent, this old snake, the, the archaic snake, the ancient serpent. And so him, through Judas, remember in John in the upper room after Jesus washed everybody's feet and uh, he said this, they were all questioning, is it me, is it you? Is it going to be me? And then Peter says, hey, John, ask him who it is. And Jesus tells John, I'm going to dip this up, and I'm going to hand it who I hand it to. That's the one. So John knew. 
Peter knew and maybe some others by that point. But it's interesting. It, it still remained not common knowledge because Jesus told him as he was going out, he says, that thou doest, do quickly. Jesus was talking about his betrayal. They all thought he was going in to buy, you know, buy groceries in town or something. Jesus knew. And it says in the scripture, at that point, Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus said, that thou doest, do quickly. That tells me that Judas was an unsaved man because how can you have the devil in you like that if you have the Spirit of God? Now, I don't want to get into theology here, okay? The Holy Spirit hasn't been breathed on him yet. (laughs) No, I, I don't see Judas as being a saved man. There are people that try to glorify him in some way and say he was trying to hurry Jesus Christ getting to the throne faster and all of this and noble... No, I think he was just a very deceived man. And he was greedy of filthy lucre. And he was in it for what he could get out of following Jesus. And his faith was never in him as the Son of God. Not, not what I see. So Judas betrayed and delivered up Christ. Satan, through Judas, betrayed and delivered up Jesus. Alright? So he foretold his betrayal. While they abode in Galilee. And he mentioned... Who would do the betraying? Now notice, this carries us really into the next thought about who the guilty party is. We just blame God. We just blame Jesus. We just blame the devil through Judas. So who's really guilty for killing the Son of God? Now that was his delivering up. God delivered him. Jesus delivered himself. Satan, through Judas, delivered him to the chief priests. Now let's see who really is guilty of the death of Jesus Christ. And this will stand up in any court of law, I guarantee you. Because the witnesses are clear. He foretold the guilty party. He'd already named the men who would kill him. You go back to chapter 16, and just turn back a page, maybe it's probably on the same page, depending on the Bible you have. Verse 21, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of who? Let's name them. The elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. And Peter began to rebuke him, took him and began to rebuke him. Be far from thee, Lord. Oh, you're crazy, Lord. That's not going to... How are you going to rebuke Jesus? I don't know. That's a whole other message for a whole other time, but we love Peter, don't we? Here's the order in which Jesus would be betrayed. (coughs) Judas would identify him to the elders, the chief priests and the scribes. The elders, the chief priests and the scribes would then in turn deliver him over into the hands of the Gentiles, or uh, a.k.a. also known as the Romans for crucifixion. So let me ask you again. Who is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Judas. Satan through Judas. The elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, because they're the ones that, you know, found out who he was through Judas, and then they in turn took him to Rome. Uh, In Rome, Pilate, he tried to wash his hands of it, but is he guiltless? 
think he should have listened to his wife on that account where she said, have nothing to do with this man. Who's guilty? The, chief, the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, that would represent pretty much the Jewish people, right? Jews. We would just, by association, we say Jews, they're guilty. They killed Jesus. Now, don't read too far into that, okay? Because you're going to walk out of here saying, Pastor's an anti-Semitist. No, I'm not. I am a Zionist. I love Israel. And I I do take a premillennial position and a, and a fundamentalist position on the Scriptures. Unlike some pastors in my day who believe the church has replaced Israel and they've given into the doctrine of Rome again. It's a sad thing that's occurring. But it's happening in good, independent, fundamental Baptist churches. People are buying this stuff. And it's crazy. It's, it's ludicrous. Now, I mean, what are you going to do with Romans 9, 10, and 11? What are you going to do with Romans 11 in particular? The Jews were guilty of the death of Christ. Now, Rome, the Greeks, or the Romans, right? That would be the Gentiles. So you see what I'm doing? I'm just making an end run to what Paul did in the first three chapters of Romans. By the time you get through there, the whole world is guilty before God. Stop killing God. When you understand what your sin did to God because Jesus had to come and die, then you might be in a place where you're ready to acknowledge the fact you're bankrupt before God and you need a Redeemer. You need salvation. Jesus Christ his death, foretelling the guilty party. Men killed Jesus. The very people that needed him most are the ones that hurt him the worst. The very ones that needed him most. He came into his own, John said, and his own, and the, and his own received him not. Who plotted his death? Who caused his death? The Jews. Who carried that through? Who carried out the plan of crucifixion? The Romans. The whole world is guilty. John 3. Turn over there. Let's read it. We've read verse 16 already, but I want to read a few more verses beyond that. We'll start at verse 16. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen now. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Romans, the Jews, and by, by way of application, you and I. Adam was our federal representative when he fell and plummeted us all into sin. The Jews and the Gentiles represent our hatred towards God. Hey, we hate God so much that we would kill him if we had the chance. We got the chance and we did. Jesus Christ foretold his betrayal, he foretold who the guilty party would be. Men. The hands of men. Mankind. 
will not stand guiltless before a holy God in heaven who gave His Son, who innocently put His Son to death. You mark it down, there will be a reckoning. Remember the parable of the vineyard? When the, when the father, the husbandman, sent the son, thinking that the servants would listen to him, and they killed the son. What did the owner of the vineyard do to those wicked, wicked people? He destroyed their entire city. And he had every, every righteous means to do so. Because it's justice. And the justice of God will be swift and will be sure. But his grace and mercy is long-suffering. Oh, who are the guilty party? He, he foretold his betrayal. He foretold who the guilty party would be. He foretold his death. As simply as possible, Jesus Christ was killed for two reasons. The religious leaders of the day killed him because he was a threat to them. Plain and simple. They didn't like what he was doing to their religion. And they killed him. They didn't kill him, actually. Let me rephrase that. They delivered him to the Gentiles who then killed him. Uh, John chapter 10. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. John 10, 31 to 33. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Jesus answered, the Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. You see, they were so angry because he claimed to be God. <laughs> he is God. It's not just a claim. He was telling them the truth. Remember, it's by the, the, uh, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Who did Peter say took and killed Jesus? Them. Who's them? Who, who are who are the the recipients of his message in Acts chapter two? The Jews that had come for Pentecost. The same people who were there fifty days prior at Passover when Jesus Christ was slain. He says, "You did it. God determined it. Yeah, it was under under His sovereignty. But you did it." You killed him. You put the Son of God to death. By wicked hands have crucified and slain. So, the first aspect under this foretelling of his death, the, the religious leaders delivered him to the Gentiles to be killed because he was a threat to them. But God delivered him up, right? We're going back to that thought. Yeah, we're going to go back to that. Why? would God need to give His Son? Okay, let, let's expose this a little bit deeper. God would need to deliver Jesus Christ up for the sins of the world and so that those who would believe on Him could have eternal life. Now, I want you to do this with me with just the moments that remain. And this is probably all that I'm going to have time to do. We have a whole other aspect of the resurrection that you're going to have to probably just meditate on your own because Easter's coming and it'll be easy to think about that last phrase. I'm probably not going to have time to cover it with you tonight. But I do want to look at this aspect of his death. Him being delivered up. I want to go through the scriptures. Go back to Matthew chapter 12 
And I'm just going to I'm just going to read the Bible with you, okay? So don't go to sleep on me. Don't disengage. This is not this is not nap time. All right. This is engage your mind in the scriptures. Let the scriptures speak for themselves. And let's read these verses. Matthew 12, 40. Here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to comment on all the verses. I want you to look for the theme that we're talking about, the death of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 40. Let's let the scriptures speak for themselves. As Jonas, that's Jonah, was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Turn ahead. Turn with me. Turn with me and read them. Matthew 16 and verse number 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Look at Matthew 17, verse number 12. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Matthew 17, look at verse um, 22. I'll read that one more time. They abode in Galilee. Jesus said, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. Look at Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17, beginning there. Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests, unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. That's pretty detailed. And the third day he shall rise again. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Scan down to verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, you, unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew chapter 21, look at verse 37. But last of all, Matthew 21, verse 37, But last of all, he, that is God, sent unto them his Son, saying, They will reverence my Son. But when the husbandmen saw the Son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him. And let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Matthew 26. Turn ahead to Matthew 26. Look at the second verse. After two days is the feast of the Passover. The Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Look at verse 24. Matthew 26, 24. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for him that he had not been born, if he had not been born. Look at verse 28. Jesus said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Why did Jesus have to die? Look at verse 39. He's praying and he says, Oh, my Father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Look at verse 42. O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And verse 53. Matthew 26, verse 53. 
Thinkest thou not that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Why did Jesus have to die? Luke chapter 9, verse 22 says, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be slain and raised the third day. Look at Luke 9 and verse 51. You're getting your page-turning exercise, I know. Luke 9, verse 51. I referenced it earlier. I want to read it. When the time was come that he should be received up. What time? The time when he would be received up. Why did Jesus have to die? He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Verse 24. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Look down at verse 31, John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Why would Jesus need to die? Why did the Messiah have to come? By the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. John 16, verse 20. John 16, you're in John 12, yet yeah, we're going in order right through the scriptures, okay? So it's easy for you, you're not bouncing back and forth. John chapter 12, verse 16. I'm sorry, John 16, you're there. Verse 20, you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Why would Jesus need to die? Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3. Verse 17. Are you there? Acts chapter 3, verse 17. And now, brethren, I what or I know not, I know that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, Christ should suffer. He hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Why did Jesus need to die? Scripture again, speaking for itself, Romans 8.3 says, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Why did Jesus have to die? He that spared not His own Son, Romans 8.32, but delivered Him up for us all, Romans 8. Turn to Romans 8. He that spared not His own Son, verse 32, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Why did Jesus have to die? <laughs> Romans 8, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Hallelujah. And who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, 
perilous or sore? Verse 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why did Jesus have to die? 1 Corinthians 2.2 Paul said this, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. And Him, what's the word? Not resurrected. He didn't say crucified. Or he didn't say resurrected. He said Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the only thing Paul determined to know among the Corinthians, that Jesus Christ had died for them at that point. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he reminds them, even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Why did Jesus have to die? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4 a magnificent passage of the gospel. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. To the Galatian believers, Paul said in Galatians 1, in verse number 4, Jesus Christ is who He's talking about there, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world. Why did Jesus have to die? Let me read the verse. He gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. Christ liveth in me. Colossians chapter 1. Yeah, you've got to read these. Trust me, I'm skipping a bunch of them. I could keep you here for three hours, but I won't. We're just getting the peak tops. We're just getting the, the mountain tops here. Okay, Colossians 1, verse 20. Put your eyes on it. Let the Scripture speak to you. Colossians 1.20. Put your eyes on it. Colossians 1.20. Having made peace through the blood of His cross. Why did He have to die? Having made peace. Oh, wow. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, and by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through to present you holy and unblameable, unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Why would Jesus have to die? Hebrews. Yeah, I'm skipping a lot of New Testament books. Hebrews. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Read it together with me in verse 14. As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver him through fear of death. I'm sorry. And deliver them who, through fear of death, were all in their lifetime subject to bondage. Bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful 
and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted he is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. Look at Hebrews 9 verse 12. Why did Jesus have to die? Okay, I hope this is speaking to you because this, this answers the question. This is the Bible's answer for why Jesus had to die first. There's a theme that runs through all of these, isn't it? Neither by the blood, verse 12, of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he, Jesus, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot unto God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God and for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance for where a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the testator for a testament is of force after men are, otherwise it is of no strength all the while the testator liveth. Look at verse 10 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. We are sanctified. We are sanctified. Why would Jesus have to die? We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 12, 2. You know this verse. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Endured what? Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 11. Hebrews 13. There's only 27 books in the New Testament. By the time we get to Revelation, I promise I'll stop. Hebrews, we're getting close. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 11. The bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Why would Jesus have to... Why would he deliver himself? Why would God deliver him? Why... Why did God allow the devil through Judas to deliver him? Why, why were men guilty of the death of Christ? Why did he have to die? Why did all this have to happen? Why did it have to occur? Because, 1 Peter 1, 18, You know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, manner of life, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth as old Dr. McGee used to say it just keeps on cleaning 
It just keeps on cleaning. Why did Jesus have to die? Because you're dirty, rotten sinner, and I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Revelation, that's the one you're waiting for, isn't it? I'll let you get out of here tonight after this. Unto Him that loved us, Revelation 1, in verses 5 and 6, read it out loud with me. Unto Him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. Hallelujah. As we approach Easter Sunday, I want you to remember, Jesus told His disciples that He was going to have to die. He would be betrayed, delivered into the hands of wicked men. But I'm glad God knew what He was doing. I'm glad Jesus was willing to do what needed to be done. And I'm glad that even though I'm a guilty, dirty, wretched, rotten worm, and yes, so are you, Jesus Christ died for me. When you think about the crucifixion of Christ, remember, it's by the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, that you have all your sins cleansed and forgiven and washed. Why are you carrying that burden around? Why are you still holding on to those things? They were dealt with by Jesus. He died for you. Why don't you let Him take those and live a life full of joy, full of gratitude, full of graciousness to say, Lord, I love you because you first loved me and I'm going to live for you because you died for me. I will listen to Paul and I will present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. This is the most reasonable thing I can do, Lord. You died for me. I'm going to live for you. A living sacrifice. Transform me by the power of your word. Mold me into the image of Christ and make me more like my Savior.